Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have a real treat for you. We have the Citizen CIO, Michael Rutledge. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be with you. So for people who aren't familiar with Citizens, can you take a moment to just kind of introduce yourself and let us know what Citizens is all about? Absolutely. So uh, I'm Michael Rutledge. I'm the CIO uh, for Citizens. Uh, I've been here at uh, the bank uh, almost four years now. I uh, I joined from uh, American Express, where I was uh, one of the CIOs there. And, uh, you know, what attracted me to Citizens was uh, the fact that it is a uh, a super regional bank that it's headquartered in uh, in Rhode Island uh, and in the Northeast, and that it's really focused on a broad spectrum of uh, of products. You know, it has a broad range of commercial, a broad range of consumer products, and it's a company that really wants to innovate and. Uh, uh, some great examples of that, and we've really been able to leverage the strong engineering talent we have at the bank to really deliver new capabilities to the banks over the course of the last three years. And I'm I'm really excited about that. Yeah, no, I've been doing some research on you all in preparation for this, and some of the pieces you've been able to roll out have been really impressive. I'd like to start by just having you talk through some of those new digital capabilities that you've been rolling out over those last couple of years. What are some of the big ones that you've been working on over the last year or two that you're especially proud of? Yeah, we, we sent out a bold vision to, to modernize the, the technology platforms and infrastructure through something we call Next Generation Technology Strategy. And... You know, what I'm most excited about is some of the key critical business enabled, that's, that's enabled us to enable. So if you think we, we've really done a tremendous job moving to the cloud, so we partner with uh, both AWS and Azure, but we started with, uh, with AWS, and we've actually built a, a, a really a platform on AWS that has really been able to unleash uh, developers and you know some good examples of that are we've launched a new lending as a service product we've launched our, our, our new mobile app for our national digital bank we've launched a one-click home equity product uh, citizens pay products numerous commercial products so you know through this infrastructure modernization and through the the cloud we've been really able to significantly increase our speed to market and, and frankly reduce the costs of some of these platforms. Yeah, and no, as I said, it's clear you've been very busy. And, and I think the question that kind of jumps immediately to my mind is, how did you decide to prioritize some of these pieces? Because the universe of potential projects is massive. And so the question I think a lot of banking executives have is, where should I spend my limited resources? So in your case, was it something that was kind of internally driven? Was it based on customer feedback that you guys were getting? Or is it something altogether different from that? It's a great question, Greg. And, you know, it's a combination of all of the above, right? So we're very focused uh, at citizens on our customers. And we have a number of listening posts with those customers. So, you know, one thing 
we heard loud and clear was that availability wasn't where it needed to be. So, you know, especially with our mobile apps. Uh, and so, you know, and people, of course, especially uh, since the pandemic, have some, become so dependent on digital capabilities that we recognize that, you know, priority number one was really improving the availability of some of our core platforms. And, you know, we've done that by moving to more of a microservices architecture built on the cloud where we can, you know, get resiliency at much lower levels of granularity with the capabilities that we're developing so that if one if one piece of an application goes down, it doesn't impact the whole application. And the way we've really revamped our DevSecOps pipeline to do releases much more quickly to, to build in quality into the pipeline. So we're checking code quality, we're checking for vulnerabilities as before we move that into production. Uh, the way that we've deployed so bloom green deployments, so you're testing something live in production before you flip the switch uh, and enable the rest of the traffic. So we've really delivered with a mindset of making sure that the the systems are as highly available as possible and that's uh, i'd say that's so that's one area we certainly uh, put to the top of the priority list sure no i think that makes sense um you know another question that i had when you're looking at implementing new pieces of technology i think in many cases it's less about what's new and more about how does that new piece interact with what you've already got. And one of the pieces that you mentioned was kind of updating the system to give yourself the ability to play with new technologies. Can you talk about that process a little bit more and just what was involved in getting yourselves ready to kind of go out and engage a bunch of new technologies? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that like many banks, like many financial services institutions, you know, we have a large legacy footprint, largely on the mainframe that has many point-to-point interfaces that really inhibited our, our speed to market. So we've been on a journey of really moving to RESTful APIs. So we can, as I said earlier, we can, we can deliver much more discrete building blocks. We can reduce the cycle time. And we connected that up to our, um, our, our mainframe systems and really encapsulate that so that you know I can partner with different fintechs but I hide I hide the, the the legacy components from them they can still code in Java and more modern languages and then I'm actually able to do things that they, they can they can still access the the mainframe or databases on the mainframe seamlessly so it's thinking through that overall architecture revamping that we started with blueprints really looking at the current landscape really laying out a point of view on what we saw as our point of arrival architecture and then step by step building the, the sort of foundations to, to get there because you know Rome wasn't invented in a day right you you can't get there overnight you just got to build the building blocks to, to get there 
No, absolutely. And I think this is one of those pieces which is potentially a little bit off-putting to somebody who's about to start this journey, right? There's so much work that has to go in before you can really, you know, feel like you're making substantial progress. Um, and I think for a lot of people who are kind of embracing this, there's the the unknown element of it as well. So I think it'd be good to just get this out there. What were some of the biggest hurdles that you encountered as a part of this process? You know, where should people potentially, now I don't want to say expect to get stuck, but, but where should people be aware that there are some pitfalls or hurdles that they need to deal with you know, some of it is a is a cultural change because you know frankly people have been doing things certain ways developing in a waterfall methodology and as we were doing this transformation we were moving to agile we we're moving at a completely different speed you know some of these some of the the products that i mentioned earlier we're, we're now delivering in in weeks you know not months or years previously so it's a massive culture change for both the business teams and the technology teams and that partnership has to get so much closer because you've got to ideate you've got to develop on the fly you've got to change or iterate and that requires a, a, a big a big cultural change at a bank and I think that was probably one of the biggest biggest changes uh, that we had to uh, that we had to cope with yeah, that actually brings me to two questions that I'd like to explore a little bit more because I think obviously you're talking about something that, um, again, a lot of financial institutions struggle with. So I'd like to explore kind of first off how you go about building a technology team that's able to do this. And then I'll follow that up by kind of talking about how the technology team can interact with the rest of the bank, because I know that's a substantial hurdle as well. But let, let's start with the first one there. You know, you obviously were able to build a team that's been successful. What can you tell us about some of the really important pieces that allowed you to do that? Yeah, a couple of things. I think it starts with assessing from the top down the leadership team that you have and the technical competence of that, that leadership team because I have a firm belief that you know, great engineers at any level will hire great engineers. So you need to have the people in, in, in your leadership team who are going out and building, bringing people into the company who are solid uh, technically and have that engineering uh, background. And then it's leveraging the existing people you have with the new people, that mixture, which is so powerful. So we've been on a, on a, on a massive retraining exercise here where you know, we took 250 of our existing colleagues and put them through what we call an engineering academy, which was a 10-week hands-on program that they could relearn modern technology. So these some of these were mainframe COBOL programmers who were very technical but hadn't hadn't delivered in sort of new cloud environments. So you know we delivered 42 different badge programs for them and they've really embraced it. That's been the great thing about this is that we didn't we, we, we haven't mandated that people take these, these badges or mandated they go to these academies, but they've embraced it and they really wanted to learn. And that's just been terrific to see. And then in parallel, we've gone out to the industry and hired 750 engineers, employees over the course of the, of the last three years. And, uh, you know, what's really exciting is that it, this year, the majority of those engineers have been from fintech companies. So, you know, we've hired from 
Amazon and Salesforce and PayPal, uh, et cetera. And, you know, we're attracting them here because of the, the, the cool stuff we're, uh, we're working on. So that's been, that's been really exciting. That mixture, I would say, of because you need the institutional knowledge. You need sure. that. It's critical. But at the same time, you need, we needed to infuse some new blood into the, into the bank with deep technical engineering skills, and we've been able to, uh, to do that. So how much has the department actually grown as you've done this? Has it been you know, adding new people in, or has it been kind of replacing people so you've stayed about the same size? We've no, we've definitely uh, we've definitely grown, but we also had when I joined, we had a very high, heavy reliance on vendors on offshore resources, and uh, you know as we were moving to more of an agile delivery environment where you need people in the same uh, minimum in the same time zones or, or co-located, we pivoted to having much more colleagues as. You know, colleagues as opposed to, to vendors. So sure. we, we, we reduced our dependence on vendors and added colleagues in those place in their place. And, and frankly, uh they're so much more productive than uh, than offshore resources. Now we still have a, a great partnership with, with our uh outsourced vendors and we still leverage them. We're not uh but uh, it's it's significantly reduced from, from where it was. No, that makes sense. And I think that's a, definitely a model that others can emulate. Um, the, the next question that I hinted at earlier, obviously having engineers kind of buy in from the technology side is really crucial, but getting buy-in from the rest of the bank is also crucial. I've seen so many good pieces of technology that kind of die on the vine because nobody inside the bank advocates for them, um, particularly when it comes time to that sort of frontline bank employee, when they're getting the message out to actual customers, hey, this technology is available. Here's how you use it. Here's what it's for. A lot of new tech initiatives struggle at that point. How have you been able able to cross that bridge and, and get people outside of the tech team excited and engaged about the new pieces that you're rolling out? Yeah, frank, frankly, some of it has been top down, right? I think there was, uh, from the CEO down, there's been, you know, just a lot of focus on innovation. And, and it comes, that's one, in looking at ideas that generate more revenue for the bank, but also on making as much more efficient and improve the, the customer experience. And so, we have something called a top program here at the bank where we've been able to set aside funds to uh, enable about 100 million in saves on an annual basis by introducing programs such as War on Paper, where we've really gone, gone after paper processing and really tried to you know, reduce, reduce that or leveraging Salesforce to significantly do end-to-end processing much, much uh, more efficiently. So, you know, been a big focus on that. And then, you know, I think the businesses have seen the, the speed at which we're able to deliver and the, and the business results. You know, if you look at, um, you know, the, the home equity line of credit program that we implemented in, in weeks, you know, the, the, the cycle time for that for our customers has gone down from 44 days to 20 days. The, the NPS score has improved, you know, eight to 10 points. For our customers, so wow. I think when our businesses see that they 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 they've embraced it, and and part and and you know they're part of this journey. We we cannot do it without that that partnership, and and you know, they've had to learn new techniques. We've had to 
train our people to be product owners, experience owners, to have that mindset. And, um, you know, I think the business has embraced that as well. It's, it's a journey. You know, we're, we're on that journey. But, um, yeah, there's been terrific partnership from, uh, from the business. No, I think that's excellent. And getting it from the top down, obviously, is important. Getting that buy-in and I think being able to show people, hey, this really does work is something obviously which makes it a lot easier as well. So um, time for one last question. You know, you mentioned you're on a journey. I think the, the question that, that I'd like to close with is just what's next? You know, how much farther uh, are you planning? How much farther is the journey, I guess, to continue the analogy? What, what are the next kind of big pieces that uh, we should expect to see from citizens over the next two or three years? Yeah, well, we're, we're doubling down in the cloud, right? We're about uh, halfway through that journey and uh, we will exit all of our data centers by 2025 and be wow. 100% in the cloud. And so that's a, that's a huge unlock from a cost perspective and also a time to market perspective. We're moving to a, a modern banking core. So we're moving off, we're moving our core uh, banking platform for deposits and checking uh, to a modern banking core. So that's that's uh, a big change that we're doing over the next course of the three years. You know, Biden eating that elephant one bite at a time. We're not yep. <laughs> uh, we're, we're not doing one big bang. We're, we've moved our deposits products onto that. We launched it uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, we will launch checking on that come April, and then additional products down the line. So there. There are a couple of big things that uh, we have in mind. I think we've also done a, a massive amount of work in the data space as well. So um, I think you know we we eliminated our, our our data appliance solutions, and we've built a data lake on uh, on AWS. And um, we're really, I think we're in a great position now to really take advantage of some of the AI and machine learning capabilities that are out there. We've been introducing chatbots to improve uh, the customer experience, speed that they get responses. And I, I think this is an area that that uh, I'm really excited that uh, we're going to be able to do some, some great things in. No, that's excellent. And I think it really speaks to, you know, what becomes possible once you kind of lay the groundwork for uh, the, these these types of innovations, you start to get yourself in a position where more and more things become possible, where your ambitions can get bigger and bigger. And I think you're in the middle of seeing that right now. So um, I'm afraid we have to leave it there. This has been a really enjoyable conversation for myself. Again, we've been chatting to the CIO of Citizens, Michael Rutledge. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks, Greg. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening. 